Son, Jesus, you may be seated. Oh, the Lord Jesus is worth our total praise and total trust and honor and exaltation. What a perfect musical setup to what the Word of God is going to instruct us in today. You are my Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. And um, He saved us from our sins and from our selves. In fact, we were, I, I, I hope we weren't discounting the lyrics that we were just singing to the Lord, because that's what we were doing, right? We were singing to the Lord, not to each other, not to ourselves. We were saying things like, you are my Savior. We, we were lifting up our voices of praise to our Savior, and we were saying, you gave your life, and I declare you as King. I, I, I give my life in return to declare you as King, as Lord of my life. In fact, that's what we've been talking about over these past number of weeks. That's the, the real emphasis of the theme of the book of Galatians, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary to rescue us from our sins and from ourselves so that we could serve him, so that we could love him, so that there'd be nothing between us and the Savior in fact, that's what the demonstration uh, on that cross was all about last Sunday where, where the word of God challenged us all over again that we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. The life we now live, we live by the power of the Son of God who lives in us and loves us and gave himself for us. And so we, we came to terms with what God was speaking to our hearts about, about what in ourselves was fueling us to, be, to, to, be, um, to, to form an obstacle or a barrier to respond to the Savior as King and Lord and Majesty of our lives so that we could truly be able to testify in our lives, not I but Christ. And so we with that visual last Sunday morning, and some of you are still praying about it, I want you to encourage you to follow through with what God lays on your heart. What is that thing, what is that stuff, what is that whatever that fuels self to not respond to Savior? Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Suppose a guy was head of his house. His name was Rick for instance. And he had a son who lived in his house. We'll resist the names to protect the guilty. <laughs> but he's the second son of Rick. <laughs> and suppose the king of the house, Rick, said, I want you to cut the grass on Thursday night. Suppose that happened Thursday night. It may or may not have happened, but it probably did. And, and suppose that that son said, all right, but first I want to do some things. I want to go and visit somebody. Probably girl Jordan. <laughs> suppose that that, that that person said, well, it's too hot. And it, 
I don't want to do it right now. Or, or the last time I cut the grass, somebody was unkind to me, so I don't want to do it anymore. Or, or suppose they said, I don't like the neighbor, and so I'm not going to cut the grass so that the grass will grow really tall and offend the neighbor. There are any number of possibilities. But isn't that an example of what we do to the Lord when he says, I want you to do something? He, he, he speaks to us. He tells us in his word what he wants us to accomplish. And we start to say, well, but I don't want to. Or I can't. Or I'm afraid. Or I don't like that person. Therefore, I'm not going to. And then it becomes, I, not Christ. That's what we're talking about. I want you to open up your Bibles this morning because the Apostle Paul, by the force of the Holy Spirit, was challenged to Continue on this theme of what it means to really respond to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior of our lives. Of, as, as the one who has rescued us truly from sin and from self. From our preoccupation with ourselves so that we would be free. This is the freedom we're talking about. The freedom from sin and the freedom from self so that I could really respond in obedience to the Savior, the one who died for me, the one who's rescued me, the one who's, who's brought me into his amazing kingdom of light. And we call him King. We call him Lord. We call him Savior. We call him Master. But calling him that isn't good enough. Where the rubber hits the road of our spiritual lives is that we would live as if he were king and if he, as if he's Lord and as if he's master of our lives, that he's savior of our lives, that he's actually saved us so that we're free from our sins and ourself. In Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, you foolish Galatians, he writes, and that's kind of a, a holdback on the NIV. He's really saying to them, you idiots. It's a very, very strong call out to these people who, this were, these were his people he loved, Galatians. He'd, he'd reached them for the gospel. And, and he's just like, you idiots, you're acting idiotically. In fact, he says, who has bewitched you? Or literally, who has evil-eyed you? Anybody ever been to the Middle East, to Turkey or Greece or anything? Have you seen the evil eye? Have you seen those things? That they have those things, those charms that have still existed since the, since the time the Apostle Paul was writing this. Those charms that, that were used by the evil one. They, they were sort of good luck charms but that, so that they would have an evil eye in their house or on their person. They used them as jewelry or whatever. And it would keep the evil spirits away from them. But it was actually energized by the evil spirits. And, and Paul is saying, you guys are being evil eyed. Who's evil eyeing you? You're responding to the wicked one. I hope we understand as we begin this section the gravity and the nature of the urgency of these issues of walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. 
Apostle Paul does not teach us, the Word of God does not teach us that this is, well, this is, you know, if you can get to this, that'd be nice, but if you can't, it'd be okay. No. The Word of God calls it wicked, wicked intrusion into all that God wants to do in your life. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort or flesh? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really is for nothing or was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Well, this is the word of God to us this morning. And I want to just stop there and take this very small section of scripture with you and look at these questions, which I'm sure as you were reading these, you were answering them yourselves. They're really rhetorical questions that, that should obviously be answered by Christians. That's why he asked them in that way. And I want to look at these this morning because I, I want you to know that that there is a very real danger of going back to me. The, the very God who saved you from yourself is sh- sharing with you from his word the urgency of the fact that, that you can go back to yourself as the Lord and master of your life. It begins, by the way, with individuals. Those of you who've traveled in the Middle East or have gone to Turkey, you'll know that that Galatians was written to the the people, the believers of Galatia in the very heart of Turkey. You go back there today and our brother Benan is is serving there and ministering there and a number of, of other faithful servants of God, but not many Christians at all. And so there's a very grave danger. And it begins with individuals. And then it becomes whole churches. And then it becomes whole denominations. And then it becomes a whole nation of people who once were shaped and by and for the glory of God. We have examples of this in our own country of denominations that once responded to the glory of God. And now litter the landscape with compromised beliefs and misguided social efforts. Eventually, it moves to rank paganism. Some of you have come out of that, have come to join with our fellowship because of those very things. The strategy is pretty consistent. The enemy's strategy, that is. It's generally a shift from the doxology of God or the glory of God, living for the glory of God, to the glorification of creation and created things. That's the consistent historical slide. And if you pay any attention to what's happening all around us, you will see this happening in rapid fire motion in our culture today. The created is becoming bigger than God Pay attention to what's happening. The hot issues of the day are things like the redefinition of marriage. 
Who is man? Who is puny man? That he has the right to look heavenward and redefine what God alone has defined. The redefinition of sexuality. Who is man to, to tamper with the creation of God? Yet this very day in our downtown, man is tampering with God's created order. and The redefinition of gender. The redefinition of what life really means itself. The nature of life. The value of life. It all begins when the created becomes bigger than the creator. That's what's happening around us. And in Paul's sense here, he's urging his people, don't, whatever you do, become bigger in your own life than God. Don't allow self to get in the way of Christ because that's what Christ has saved you from. Satan's ruined salvation strategy is very obvious. It's all about the human God, me. And there are three, I think, obvious things in this text that the Apostle Paul is writing with response to. Focusing on ritual behavior rather than on right beliefs. Pay attention to what goes on. Think about your own life. Where is most of your attention given? To rituals and rules and customs and laws? Or the living Christ? Attention given to the flesh and downsizing the role of the spirit. It's subtle, the erosion in your life, but you can, you can pay attention and hear it happening in your life. Think about how you respond, how you talk. Where, where, where's your lingo? Is it, I will do this, I want to do this, this is for me, I, I, know that I, I, you know, I know that maybe I should do this, but I really want to do that? Or is your talk about the Lord? What the Lord wants, what the Lord wants of me, what, I, I want to think about the Lord's thoughts. I, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this, but before I do this, I want to consult big time with the Lord. Is it about you and a downsizing of the role of the Spirit of God and His influence in your life? Is it finally settling on human effort over, the, over God's grace? What we have been given as the grace of God, a gift from God. Now somehow we think that we can, we can uh, be acceptable to God by our own human efforts, by the efforts of our physical lives. Let's make no mistake about it. This demonstration here was not some sort of dependence on ourselves that somehow if we got up out of our pew and wrote something on a piece of paper and went over and pinned it on there that, that somehow by that physical act, that determination of the will, that recognition of what's in the way, that somehow we could seize control of our lives and, and, and be better 
better stewards of our, our, our life with God. No, this was an act on our part to go and say, we can't do it, Lord. There are things in our life that are in the way and we recognize them. You've, you've convicted us of them. We're sensing them. And Lord, by your grace, would you strengthen me to, to, to uh, be enabled to turn from myself and turn to my Savior every time. That's what we did there. That was the response there. That was what we were doing. So there are four questions here in this text that I want to briefly run through this morning that will pull us back every time to the Savior. If we respond rightly to these questions through the power of God's Word and the working of God's Spirit in our lives. And and I'm talking now about the normal, supernatural Christian life. Can I say that? This is not... Don't check out on us here. Don't say, well, you know, that's for super Christians. No, this is for every Christian. This was the expectation of, he said, you Galatians. He's talking about every single one of those Galatians who responded to the truth of Jesus Christ. Every single one of, every single one of us who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is for us, the normal, supernatural, because it's not natural. It's supernatural Christian life. The first question is this. Test, it's a test to see, to see if your life is, is, is embracing the genuine thing. Don't, don't you agree with me that it's important for us to talk in church about the genuine thing and the real thing before we get to the pearly gates and find out? Don't you think it's too late then? Don't you think this is important? Don't you think it's worthwhile in this service this morning? Don't you bless the Lord that he brought you here this morning, that you can see his word, hear it with your own ears, and respond to it through the power of God, and, and have him tell you and tap you on the shoulder and say, listen, this is the truth. Respond to it. Hear it. Welcome it. Receive it into your life. When you get there before him in the judgment seat, it's too late. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? This is an introductory to salvation question. Did you experience the genuine thing or not? Did you, did you, Paul says, experience a powerful, life-transforming, life-arresting, life-shaping encounter with the living God? And did you receive that or experience that by practicing some sort of rituals or rules or customs or by what you heard, by the preaching of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He says to them, I clearly portrayed Christ crucified to you. Ground zero for all of this is the cross of Calvary. He he actually says to to them, I postered. It's it's like a, um, what do you call those guys who are graphic artists, graphic designers. Your kid. Graphic designers and artists. They picture stuff. They they take words and ideas and and make a picture out of them. And and, um, Paul says, when I preached to you in Galatia, I 
postered the reality of the crucifixion of Christ. I was enabled by the power of God to paint a picture of the truth of the crucifixion. So much so that it was as if you were there. That you saw and witnessed the crucifixion of Christ yourself. You saw that he gave his life for you. It wasn't anything you did. It was Christ in his grace and mercy who went to the cross and died. So that your sins could be forgiven. And there he could be your substitute. And there he could rescue you from your sin and from yourself so that you would have him as Savior. And there he gave you the spirit of Christ to live in you so that you could live for him. I postered that for you. And now you think you got that from rules, laws, and rituals? Come on. You know you didn't. You got it by believing what you heard. You got it by welcoming the truth of God's word. By faith. And this believing has, um, has really the three important components to it. It is hearing the word of God. In fact, um, one writer has said uh, correctly, I think, we are, we are saved more by our ears than we are by our hands. You heard the truth. You believed the truth. And you obey the truth. That's what the real concept of believing that he's talking about. By believing what you heard. HBO. You heard, you believed, you obeyed. Rituals and customs weren't even in the picture. Did I paint a picture for you of rituals and customs? Not in your life. The only credible evidence that you have salvation is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He, he matter-of-factly says, did you receive the Spirit by rituals or by believing what you heard? The only evidence, Romans 8, 7, Romans 8, 9, the only sign that you are saved is that you believe and welcome the truth and that you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And later on in the book of Galatians, he's going to give us all kinds of evidences that you have the Holy Spirit. You can read ahead in Galatians 5, 22, 23. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It has nothing to do with how many rules and rituals and laws and customs you can do. It is, are you evidencing and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit or not? Do you have the Spirit of God? That's the evidence of salvation. It's not by what you buy or don't buy today. It's not by what you wear or don't wear today. It's not by what you do or don't do today. It's do you or do you not have the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And then he says the second question, after beginning with the Spirit... Are you now going to try and perfect this thing by your own old human ways? How do you you now see spiritual growth happening in your life, Paul says? By trusting in the works of your flesh? By following arbitrary lists of do's and don'ts? You think that's going to work for you? The message, uh, Eugene Peterson, in his uh, section on this text, I think puts it kind of saucy but nice. 
to the point, if you weren't smart enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? If you, if you couldn't bring this thing on yourself, you couldn't bring salvation your way yourself, why in the world would you think, O oh Galatians, evil-eyed, why would you think that now suddenly you, by your own human strength and by your savvy and by your resolve, are now going to grow in the Lord? It's not going to happen. Some of the best church religious rule keepers I know are hard and unkind and angry and lack grace and are mean to each other? How are those rules working for you? They're growing you in grace, patience, kindness, gentleness, love. Flesh always ignores the Holy Spirit and bullies the Holy Spirit. I, I want to, the flesh wants to be in charge. I want to do it my way. So what will it be, he says to Galatians? What will it be, I say to Calvary? What will it be to you, brothers and sisters in Christ? Trusting in the works of your flesh or relying on the powerful, transforming work of the Holy Spirit? Even just to say it, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Trust in me or the transforming power of the God of the universe? (laughs) You are God Your old ways are God's new creation plans for you. Beloved, do you believe this? You have all you need in the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Are you not believing it? You walk with Him in total control and you are guaranteed to grow. And I'll tell you, if you're concerned about loosing yourselves from the rules and rituals and regulations and you'll go crazy, the truth is if you loose yourself from your self-discipline, yourself, and you go into abject sin, you were never saved in the first place. We not trust the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to grow us. God will turn your belief into a life and living right with him. Have you suffered so much for nothing, he says? The third question. You escaped the grasp of Satan itself, and it's been painful, hasn't it? Didn't it cost you something? If it didn't, it certainly will. Now, we have a variety of experiences here of being rescued out of the world, out of sin, and out of self. Some of you have had to turn your back on your families, turn your back on your, your culture, turn your back on your customs, turn your back on everything you knew. And for some of you, you've been rejected by people because you've done that. You, you've experienced the suffering of what it means to come to know Christ and, and, and to, to throw yourselves at his mercy and ask him to change you and, and, and save you and rescue you. And now, he says, are you going to turn back and, and all that suffering that you've gone through and are going through, now you're going to go back and rely on yourself? I suffer for nothing a lot. Not just theologically either. In life. Because I'm mechanically completely useless. But I don't like to admit that. So I go to Home Depot lots. Steph and I should never go to Home Depot. But I go there 
something gets broken in the house, and I'll fix it. So I'm a do-it-yourselfer. And regularly, I wreck other things or don't fix something that was wrecked or whatever, and I cause myself more grief because I'm trying to do it myself. The Bible says, don't be a do-it-yourselfer Christian because you'll wreck your life. Just admit that you're spiritually challenged and throw yourself at the mercy of the Spirit of God and let Him do His thing in your life. He'll change you and transform you and, and you'll wake up one day and look in the mirror and say, look at me. Look at Christ in me. I'm, you know what? I'm not willing anymore to pay for anything, anything for rituals or customs or heritage that offers me nothing eternally. Not a thing. Finally, does God give you his spirit and his power work among you because you keep the rules of the Bible or because you believe what you heard? Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like to feel the power rush of the Almighty God getting hold of your life at salvation? Do you remember what it was when he, when he um, turned your hard heart soft to him? Do you remember what it was when your eyes that were blind to the things of God suddenly became wide open and you realized that your, your stopped ears became unstopped and you heard the word of God for the first time even though you'd heard it many times and suddenly you really heard it. And not only did you hear it, but you believed it. Do you remember that? And when he came into your life and, and, and you could sense that God was at work. Do you remember that? Paul is saying, do you think... That now suddenly you're going to experience the power of God in your life by your own strength, by your own flesh. He's saying, listen, don't you need sin-busting power in your life? Don't you need Satan-defeating power in your life? Don't you need self-abasing power in your life? Don't you need the power of God to to miraculously heal and direct you and help you in your day-to-day life? Don't you need the power of God in your life? Why then are you allowing yourselves to depend upon rules and rituals and customs and self and determination and willpower to somehow generate human power in your life? Don't you want the power of God? Do you want a form of godliness but lack the power thereof? I don't. I don't. I, I, don't, I don't think we signed up for salvation to be the same as we ever were. This is not a self-help book. This is a spirit-take-charge book. That's what this is. I mean, think about it. The power of salvation was required to bring us from death to life. Can you do that for yourself? That requires resurrection power. That has nothing to do with whether or not I throw a baseball today. For some people in here, the battle with sin is raging with intense 
power. Do you think you can rescue yourself from the addiction of pornography? That won't be fixed whether you go and buy something today or not. That, that's about the Holy Spirit power to save you from yourself, which is fueling your sinfulness. I want to leave you with this. We have to ask ourselves this question of our own lives. Is this what we have together, a religion of Jesus or a religion of human behavior? Man-centered resolve. It's all about cross work, isn't it? In a few moments, we're going to gather at the table of the Lord, and we are going to declare our allegiance to our King, Lord Jesus. We are going to declare our allegiance to Savior who rescued us, to Master who owns our lives. That's what we're going to do all over again. We're going to revisit our vows to the Lord. You see if uh, rules and rituals can do this. A few things I'm going to show you just quickly and then we're, we're finished this part. Isn't it Christ alone who, who's, who ends any form of racial or cultural favor? Do you think your rules, your rituals, your customs, yourself, you can do that? Isn't it Christ alone who justifies declaring us right with God and absorbing our guilt? Isn't it Christ alone who makes us dead to the enslavement of law and of sin and of self and of the world? Isn't it Christ alone who puts to death the law so that it's no longer our Lord? Isn't it Christ who rescues us from this present evil age? And isn't it Christ who gives us his spirit to superintend our safe journey home? Is there any rule or ritual or self-discipline that can take care of any one of those things? Not a one. So don't let anybody, don't let anybody bewitch you. Or give you any foolish teaching to the contrary. The life, the normal Christian life, is not I, but Christ alone. That's it. The reason Jesus was crucified is because human Religious behavior can't save us from our sins, can't save you from your sins, and can't grow you away from them. Only God's power to save and grow you is the power that you must have. Our Father and our God, If we've been in in the church, in Christianity, any amount of time at all, we know this stuff to be true. But Lord, how we struggle and wrestle to fight for ground in our lives, to keep fighting for self. And because of it, Lord, We're miserable. We have sin in our lives. 
So as we come now to the communion table of Christ, we want to, um, by this act, again, poster the reality of Jesus, what he did for us. All of grace, the grace of God the Father, who loved us so much that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, I don't see anything of me or my self-discipline or my rules or my rituals or my customs in that promise of God. Salvation and growth, transformation, conversion is an act of God. So act away, Lord Jesus. Act away, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, my heart's desire for myself and us is that we would truly experience what it means to be free in Christ. And we will not be set free until we recognize that that freedom includes not only sin, but self. This is what it means to be free. Free from ourselves. And I am firmly convinced that the great power work God longs to do, he will do in a people who have learned by the power of God's spirit to be selfless and to serve the living Christ. And while there is sin and suffering and stuff in our lives, there is a lot of self. And that's what God is going after in our lives. That he might be Savior, Lord, Master. He is. Everything we've done this morning has been about Jesus. Every song we've sung is what Jesus has done, nothing what we've done. Don't you long to be a people who would be really free and who God would use to turn this community upside down for the Lord? Don't you long for that? Well, do we need any miracles among us? Any power encounters of God among us? Yes, we do. So I commend to you the Spirit of God and him alone. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for what you have shown us. Lord, I pray that our ears would welcome it. Our eyes would be open to it. Our hearts would receive it. And we would get out of the way of the great work that the Spirit of God wants to do. Lord, I pray that our lives would be shaped. Our decisions would be shaped. Our thoughts would be shaped by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let us think, Lord. Let us act in obedience to the Lord. Let us do what the Lord asks us to do, that we might be holy servants of the Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.